Elliot Coleman, I would say, is the one person most responsible for the market gardening movement in the U.S. This was the only book I had when I started growing. Actually, this is a 30th anniversary edition. This new edition just came out this year. It's got a lot of uh, color photographs and some updating. I, I still say this is the place to start to learn about market gardening. Um, you know, others have come along and kind of stood on his shoulders and maybe gone further, but he gives a lot of good information on basic techniques, you know, how to hold your collinear hoe and how to use the wheel hoe and some of these tools and just a very good introduction to market gardening. So I highly recommend the new organic grower. The market gardener, so some years ago, I think maybe 2008, Jean-Martin Fortier, or for those of us who don't speak French, we just say J.M. Fortier from Quebec came out with this book we are blessed in that my son Jonathan, who's hiding in the corner back there, um, has developed some tools that have really revolutionized market gardening. We, we believe the Lord blessed and give him the credit. But um, we were able to go see JM's farm before this book came out. And I was blown away by his farm and he gave me, it first came out in French. He gave me a copy of it in French and man, I was really motivated to learn French at that point. I was figuring out, okay, well, what does that mean? And um, anyway, fortunately it came out in English a year or two later, uh, but this so I, I say Elliot Coleman started the market gardening movement. J.M. Fortier turned it from a movement into a revolution, I would say. And this book has encouraged thousands of young people to leave careers in the city and move to the country and start market gardening. It's, uh, it's a really... Well, it's a very, very complete manual of how to run a market garden. And the thing that I think really, um, really got people excited was that he's making 150000 on an acre and a half. And he documents how he does that. And, you know, you look at the prices he's getting. He's up in Quebec. And we get those kind of prices at our farmer's market. So it's like, wow, well, if he's doing it up there, then we should be able to do it in Tennessee or in Oregon or wherever. Um, so anyway, this is just another highly recommended book. Um, the Winter Harvest Handbook, also by Elliot Coleman. Elliot is the authority on winter growing. Um, this is an excellent book. It's the only book that I'm aware of that really goes into winter growing. Um, he, Elliot Coleman is in Maine, Zone 5. He's on the coast of Maine. Um, again, if he can do it in Maine, you can do it in Oregon. He's growing in unheated hoop houses. So we're talking low tech. The one thing I love about Elliot Coleman is he's trying to, he's very minimalistic. If we can get rid of it, you know, if we don't need the bells and whistles, let's get rid of them. Let's come down to what is actually essential. And so this is highly recommended. Um, the Urban Farmer, Curtis Stone. How many of you have heard of Curtis Stone? I know a lot of people have heard of Curtis Stone because he's on YouTube. He's got hundreds of videos on YouTube. He's in Kelowna, British Columbia. That's north of here. And he actually, he's not doing market gardening anymore. Um, he is, 
I'm not sure what he's doing except making videos and videoing other people doing market gardening, but he's got a, a young family and for, I don't know all his reasons, but he's no longer actively market gardening. But he wrote the Urban Farmer book, Growing Food for Profit on Leased and Borrowed Land. Um, got some excellent tips in there. And for those of you who don't have a farm yet or land, you know, again, he, he used neighbors' yards, backyards. He was, when, when he quit, he was making um, over $100,000 on a third of an acre. And I just want to stop and emphasize something here. I'm going to be throwing around these numbers, and I want to make it clear that you're not going to make that when you start out. Um, don't eat, so don't think, oh, wow, I can, I can make $100,000 in my backyard. You know, these are people who have, have um, sharpened their skills and um, who really know what they're doing. And I also want to say most of them are not Christian. And so they have a different outlook on life. And, and again, you know, I, I hope that our number one goal is not making money. I hope that our goal is outreach and service and so on. And so I throw the numbers out just because I'm trying to get rid of the myth that you can't earn a living in a market garden. You know, there's still this idea, and it seems to be especially strong in Adventism. Well, yeah, that's nice, but, you know, I got to pay the bills. Well, these people are, are doing it. Now, and again, we're talking about gross. We'll talk about that more later on. But, you know, it's, it's fair to say net is usually around 50% of gross in market gardening. So that's important to keep in mind, too. Okay, we got to keep going because there's a lot of resources here. Lean Farm, this book came out a few years ago, and this was really revolutionary in that Ben Hartman took lean manufacturing techniques that Toyota popularized um, in you know, becoming the most profitable auto maker in the world, I think, um, and he's taken these techniques and principles and applied them to the market garden. And um, as I say in the resource thing, this is not going to tell you how to be a market gardener, how to grow plants, but it will tell you how to be a smarter market gardener. Gives a lot of principles and, and methods for um, being more efficient. You know, just a simple example, the spaghetti diagram. You know, you, you, you map out your movement on the farm for harvesting. Okay, so I go over here to the tool shed and get my knife, and then I go down over here and harvest, and then I come back here and wash it, and then I've got to bring it here. And so you just map your route and it usually ends up looking a lot like a pile of spaghetti. So you're trying, to, you're trying to straighten those lines out. Well, what if I keep my knives at the hoop house where I harvest? So I can go straight there, then I come straight back, and I wash, dry, put it in the cooler, and then it goes into the van to go to market. You know, you've just straightened out all those lines. So anyway, all kinds of good information about increasing efficiency. And then a couple of years later, he came out with the Lean Farm Guide to Growing Vegetables because people were saying, well, this is great theory, but how do you make it work in your garden? So this is kind of, he's showing you how he uses is it on his farm. Again, he's, he's farming under an acre, um, doing it largely by himself, and um, 
making a comfortable living. Ben Hartman, The Lean Farm Guide to Growing Vegetables. Sustainable market farming. This is one that I consider more a reference work. I've never read it through beginning to end, but has a lot of good information and has it broken down by different crops. Um, so if you're, if you're wanting to learn more about brassicas that you're trying to you're trying to improve your brassica production, you can look at it and uh, just a good reference manual for the small farm. Um, sustainable market farming. Market farming success I don't actually have here, I, but I think we've, all these books we have downstairs at the Ad Agra table. We want to encourage you to, to buy them here and support AdAgra rather than Amazon. Um, anyway, market farming success is just a, a good introduction to market farming. Friend, family friendly farming. If you have a family and you're wanting to figure out how to make it work for your family and hopefully encouraging them to someday take over the farm, excellent book. I can say that it changed the course of our farm when we read it. Um, we realized that our children were not picturing a future for themselves on the farm. And so we, we made some pretty big changes on our farm. Yeah, we're not trying to make them all into market gardeners, but we just want them to know that the farm is there for them if they want, if they feel called to that. And so it's just an excellent book on, on family farming, managing cover crops profitably. There's, there's a number of different issues here. Andrew Mefford, the editor, is kind enough to send these to us. Obviously, he would like you to become a subscriber. I would encourage it, you know, it's like $33. Well, I'm one that loves to read and learn from others. And so Growing for Market is the main magazine for uh, market gardeners. So I highly recommend it. Councils on Agriculture, I don't even have that up here. That's a compilation I did some years ago from Mrs. White tried to come up with everything she had to say about agriculture. I highly recommend it just because I think it's really important for us to stay grounded. You know, why are we doing this? Um, and so just reading her counsels on, on agriculture. You know, did you know she was a market farmer? I mean, she had a farm in Elmshaven, a, a commercial farm. She, she was an incredible gardener. You read stories of her going out by moonlight to plant because the rain was coming and she wanted to beat the rain. It's really amazing to read, read um, her love for market gardening. Now we come to internet resources, which keeps getting longer and longer. As I said at the beginning, I, I'm having a hard time keeping this up to date because you know when I started out the problem was there wasn't enough information now it, we almost have the other problem that there's so much information you don't know what to believe and what to digest um, the big thing in the last year or two is all these farmers who've kind of made a name for themselves have come up with these online courses um, but they, I highly recommend them. You know, I say the best way to learn market gardening is to go work with somebody who's doing it. But if you can't do that, the next best thing is to get one of these courses where you're going to see a lot of videos of what they're doing and how they're doing it successfully. The one that I actually, we shelled the money out to purchase was the Never Sink Farms course, the first one on the list there, Connor Crickmore. 
As far as I know, he's the highest grossing market farmer in the country. He said the last three years, it's averaged between 360 and $390,000 on less than an acre and a half. And that's without a tractor. That's without a walking tractor. That's with hand tools only. So now he's in New York. He, uh, he's got good markets. So that explains some of it, um, but he's super efficient. Super, you know, he's the one that doesn't leave beds empty for more than a few hours. Um, so that's what you, th those are what is being done. Um, but again, you know, he's got ideal markets. He's going year round. Well, he does take two days off a week. So that's five days a week, eight-hour days. They quit at 4.30 every day. So, again, to me, what that says is, you know, I don't need to make that kind of money. Um, but I could, I could make a lot less and have a lot more time for ministry, for Ad Agra, for whatever. And so... I'm not trying to learn, I'm not trying to follow his philosophy on life, but I do want to learn from his efficiencies and plug it into our understanding of the world and, and why we're here kind of thing. Does that make sense? So Connor has a course, Curtis Stone has a course, JM has a course. I've seen samples of all of them and I think they're all good. One thing I will say about Connor Crickmore though is that he's the only one that I'm aware of that uses the Albrecht system of soil balancing. Um, and that's what you're going to hear from Whitmar McConnell. I think that's what you're going to hear from Michael Treviso, from Bob Gregory. They believe William Albrecht was a true soil scientist and came up with true science on how to balance the soil. Um, and again, Connor Crickmore is the only one that I know of using that. Um, ben Hartman has a course now. If, if, you know, lettuce is one of the most profitable crops on a small farm because it's so fast and everybody eats it. Um, Ray Tyler, a friend of ours from Tennessee, has become quite well known on being able to grow lettuce year round. He's got a course now on growing lettuce. You know, it's a lot easier to grow lettuce up here in the Northwest through the summer, but it's a challenge for us in the Southeast to grow lettuce in the heat of the summer. Um, and he's doing it. So anyway, a lot of good online courses. There's podcasts, um, you know, great way while you're out working in the garden to listen to interviews with farmers. And, you know, you just glean all these little tips. I've learned so much between growing for market and podcasts. I've learned an amazing amount just little things you know that can make a big difference in the long run videos you know youtube has become huge and curtis stone has literally hundreds of hours of videos on every aspect of market gardening connor crickmore has more and more on youtube you know these guys are businessmen you know, they know how to, to make money on these things, and, and um, they will lure you in. Um, Richard Perkins is, is in Sweden, and if you look at a map and see the latitude of Sweden, it's way up there, and he has a profitable market garden in Sweden. Business and record keeping, a lot of, of good tools there. If you're doing a CSA, it can be very uh, overwhelming, all the record keeping of a CSA. 
you know, so-and-so's calling up saying, I'm not going to be here next week. Could you save my box and bring it to market the week after? And if you don't have an efficient way to deal with all that, it can be, get very overwhelming very quickly. So there's record keeping. I think my wife will talk about something we're not real familiar with yet, but we're going to try this year. Harvey, it's called. Um, it's from Small Farm Central, which is on your, your list there. Tools and supplies. We got to talk about Farmer's Friend LLC. He wants to be your friend. Um, that's my son's business. Tools and supplies. Farmer's Friend, the, the, their main tool that they came out with was the uh, greens harvester, the quick cut greens harvester but they actually sell the most of caterpillar tunnels it's a low cost greenhouse kind of thing that if you buy two of them they'll ship free to oregon a lot of good a lot of good resources here um seed catalogs you know there's hundreds of seed companies the, the one thing I would recommend is making sure that the seed company you support has signed the safe seed pledge, that they don't knowingly use genetically modified seeds. You know, that's a whole different discussion, but there's a lot of companies that have signed the safe seed pledge, including all these. I included some, your Northwest main one that I'm aware of is uh, Territorial Seeds. But um, I put a couple others specifically for you Northwesterners here. Adaptive Seeds and Wild Garden Seeds. Are any of you familiar with those? Okay. They, um, Wild Garden Seeds, Frank Morton is, uh, is a very talented plant breeder. And he's come up with <laughs> all kinds of wild and crazy lettuces and kales and um, so anyway those are good good resources for you I I did a little searching online for local amendment supply houses Robert you pro where do you get your stuff from that's the name of the company concentrate Okay, so write that down if you're local here. Concentrate for all your... Concentrates. Oh, concentrates. Concentrates. Okay, yeah, so some of these would be a long ways if you're from this part of the country. And then the last thing I would just say on soil fertility, huge subject, deep subject. We're not even going to try to talk about it here, but... I give some resources here, and then I just recommend, you know, unless you really know what you're doing, work with somebody that does. And Whitmar McConnell, who is here, I think he's going to have a booth. He does soil consulting. You know, you can get a test and have him interpret it for you and give you the recommendations, and then learn all you can as you go along. But um, recognize that it's a subject that even Whitmar will say he's got so much still to learn. It's, you know, it's the kind of thing you'll spend the rest of your life trying to understand. But if you're trying to get up and going and get profitable, earn a living from it, I think your best thing is just to have somebody else tell you, somebody that you trust tell you what to do with your soils because you can mess things up really quick and really bad if you're not careful by using the wrong things even compost Joshua come up and talk to us about high value crops okay um, so we are going to just quickly look um, look through at crop choices and just how um, we rate our crops as far as the the yield um, the value that we get from them so 
for starting off, we're going to look at Curtis Stone's um, crop value rating. And he has five, five um, methods that he uses. So first one, short days to maturity. So if it's a crop that's mature in 60 days or less, it would be one point. Um, high yield per linear foot, so half a pound um, yield per, per linear foot, and that's on the 30-inch bed. So that would be a um, two-and-a-half square foot section. Um, high price per pound, um, minimum of $4 a pound. Long harvest period, um, minimum of four months. So that would be either a crop that you continually harvest for up to four months, like tomatoes, um, or cucumbers, peppers, those kind of things, or a crop that has a season up to four months. So it might be arugula that you're replanting every week, but you have at least four months worth of season that you can be harvesting. Um, and the last one, popularity, um, uh, high demand crops. You don't want to be growing things that people aren't, aren't wanting. So, we have a slide here with just a, um, a few of the crops. So the crop value rating on Arugula is a five out of five. So it means all of those we have. Beets are four out of five. Carrots, four out of five. Kale, four out of five. Lettuce, five. Uh, microgreens are a four. Radishes, baby kale, salad mix, turnips, spinach, and tomatoes. So if you look at the five out of five, they're almost all um, baby greens, which are definitely your highest, your highest yielding. So that gives just an idea of, of that rating. So we're going to go through and look at these crops and just some growing tips on these highest value crops. Okay, so we're going to start with baby greens. Um, key with baby greens is not having weeds in your bed because you don't want to have to be sorting your whole harvest. So you want to make sure you have a smooth and weed-free seed bed. Seed with a high intensity seeder. Um, we use a, the Johnny's six row seeder for most of our things. We also are using the Jang seeder more now. Um, you need a good moisture for germination, but if you get too much water after things start germinating, you'll start dealing with molds in your, you know, dense bed. And then harvesting with the quick cut harvester, you can harvest, I don't even know what they say as far as pounds per hour, but it's a huge amount. Um, I mean, we're not harvesting hundreds of pounds of baby lettuce, but or any of the baby crops, but we don't take more than probably five minutes to harvest any specific crop, like a 25 foot of arugula, or arugula um, you know, take just a couple minutes. So huge um, efficiency on that. So that was baby greens in general, you know, arugula, baby kale, different stuff like this. Um, this is specifically on baby lettuce. So we, we have started in the last few years growing Salanova. And I don't know if you all are familiar with Salanova, but um, it grows in a head. And then you cut the head. You cut um, the leaves above the growing, the growing um, tip in the head. And it regrows. You know, we, it depends in the summer you won't get as you'll get maybe two cuts, but in the winter sometimes we'll get four or five cuts um, from the one plant um, from the Salanova. So we use pelleted seeds. Yeah, yeah, well that's the, the way that the Salanova is bred. It doesn't give like a regular head lettuce. It doesn't have um, full leaves. It just has a lot. They just come up um, little leaves. Um, so it grows, it grows differently than a, than a regular head lettuce. And we just find it much easier because if you do have weeds that come up in your bed, well, for one, you can cultivate because you're 
plants are you know six inches apart so you can cultivate through even after it's growing whereas if you have it in a seat in a bed um, you can't do any cultivation and then also if you have um, if you have weeds and you go to harvest you're just grabbing your head and cutting it and you don't have it you don't have stuff growing in your head it's all around and so you're kind of sorting um, you're sorting your lettuce and harvesting all at once and we just find it a um, much easier way to grow the baby lettuce. So we, um, we transplant it. So we use pelleted seeds for, for our blocks because it just makes it much easier to, um, to seed that. It's a quick and easy harvest and it's a uh, sturdier lettuce. So the, the baby lettuce mixes that you'll direct seed into a bed are just a very limp, I guess you'd say. Um, and so this is just a, a sturdier lettuce. So then we're gonna go to spinach. Um, there's two ways that we grow spinach. One would be seeding it, direct seeding it into a bed intensely. Um, what would we, seven rows per bed probably. Um, and then harvesting it with the, with the greens harvester and you may get a couple cuttings, but you know your first cutting is going to be is going to be your best. In the winter, we seed it in soil blocks. So we'll do four seeds per block, and then we just harvest the big leaves, and it keeps growing um, much better than if you cut the whole plant. And so we'll harvest. We'll have a bed that'll go through the whole winter. We'll just continually be harvesting it from that. Um, so. With the spinach, you have to be more cognizant of the fact that it is a heavier feeder, and so it needs more fertility put on it than just um, your other greens. And when you're harvesting, um, when you're harvesting just the leaves, you want to make sure you're not giving, you're not harvesting them with a long stem because that um, people don't like the the um, they like just the leaves. So then we go to turnips and radishes. Um, for for this high, um, the the crop value rating that what we're talking about are gourmet radishes and turnips. It's not your field, you know, purple top turnips or your big radishes. Um, these are little. So the the turnips that we grow are hackerai turnips. They're a small, they get up, you know, maybe a golf ball size. Um, and then radishes also, we do like French breakfast radishes and small um, pink beauty radishes. They're just much more um, gourmet and you get much better price for those. People, people like them a lot more. Um, so that's the seeding that we do. Radishes, we do five rows per bed and turnips do four rows per bed. And I'm sure in the, when we talk about um, the tools, they'll talk about cedars. Um, we use the Jang cedar for, we've started using the Jang cedar more for most of this seeding. So they'll talk about that when they do that. Um, with the radishes and turnips, especially in the summer um, and fall, we deal a lot more with, um, I guess it's flea beetles eating the, the leaves. And so we'll cover with an insect netting. You can also use a real lightweight row cover and it'll keep your, your leaves, your greens really nice. We also do that with arugula um, and the kale, anything that you have issue with, with um, insects. So for pretty much anything, selling it bunched with the greens on it, you're going to get a much higher price than if you cut, if you cut your greens and you're selling in bulk. But um, if, you know, if we have a crop of radishes, because radishes don't, won't last, especially the small gourmet radishes, they don't last in the ground indefinitely they'll they'll grow too big and then they'll get like soft they'll get hollow on the inside so if you're not 
able to sell them all when they need to be sold. You can pull them, cut the tops, and they'll store for you know a few weeks, and you can you can move them that way. But on a whole, we try to sell all of our stuff bunched because you get a much you know you can have maybe ten ten radishes in a bunch, and it looks like a pretty good amount. You get two fifty three dollars for your bunch, but if you cut the tops off those, nobody's going to pay three dollars for 10 little radishes all right we're going to beets um, we transplant all of our beets and if you know beet seeds they kind of are a little clump um, you generally have two plants per seed and so we do two seeds in the block and we'll get a little bunch of beets coming up um, and so yeah we transplant them just because the germination can be hard to get in the field and so when you transplant them, if they don't germinate, you don't have an empty spot in your field. You just take out, you know, when, you, when you're setting out the blocks, you don't use the um, empty ones. So we also do the beets bunched. Um, we try and get, you know, a tennis ball, a little, a little smaller maybe, a size beet, and we'll sell three, sell them three per bunch, and we'll get $3 a bunch for them. Um, and then in the winter, the greens aren't as good. And also I sell them much more bulk in the winter. Like I'll grow a much bigger amount of beets in the winter and sell them, you know, by the pound without the greens, but you're not getting a dollar a beet like you would be when you're selling them by the bunch. Carrots are a big crop for us. They're also somewhat challenging, but first of all, you're going to have to make sure you've got a good loose soil. So we broad fork all of our beds before to get, you know, 12 inches deep, um, loosen up the soil. And then the biggest thing with carrots is your weeds. And so we still haven't gotten this down perfectly, but I would like to have my beds prepared about a month before I seed the beets, and then you do um, the carrots, sorry. You do the stale seed bed, so you'll prepare your beds, get them all smooth, water them, and then leave them for maybe five days a week, and you'll have um, all your weeds will come up. And there's a couple ways you can do it. Easiest one is with a flame weeder. You'll run it over your bed and it'll just torch all those weeds and they'll die. And then you can water it again and do that two or three times. And then when you go to plant, all your germinating seeds in the top inch of your bed have already tried to germinate and been killed. And your carrots will come up and you won't have the weeds coming up. One thing that I have struggled with with that is that you'll end up getting kind of a crust. It depends on how, you know, if you've got real, if it's really sunny, kind of dries out, you'll get a crust on your, on the top of your bed, and then you can, it can be difficult seeding into it. So what I've found the, is the best way to do it, um, we use um, silage tarps for, for killing weeds when we, when we don't have crops in the ground, we'll just cover our plot with a silage tarp and it'll keep keep the weeds from coming up, and then when you uncover it, you've got a nice place to plant. So I'll do the flame weeder a couple weeks, and then the last time, instead of flame weeding it, when the weeds come up, pull a silage tarp over, and it doesn't kill the weeds you know, immediately. It's gotta be on there for a few days. If it's sunny, it'll do it faster. Um, but having it covered with the plastic will moisturize the bed, and it'll break down that crust. So then when you pull the tarp off, you've got a much softer bed to seed into. So that's what I've, what I've found is the easiest way to, to get that stale seed bed. And then, yeah, you, you don't have nearly the issue with weeds. Um, for the direct seeding, we used to use pelletized seed, but the germination is just not as good. And then a lot of times it's harder with the seeder. So use unpelletized seed. Seed anywhere from three to twelve rows per bed. I did all my rows at, or all my beds at seven rows per bed. 
um, that's has worked well for for me. Well, at seven rows per bed, they're like, yeah, three or four inches. Of, what? Four and a half? Yeah, four four and a half inches apart. Um, I've done. I did twelve rows per bed, um, maybe two years ago, and I had an amazing stand of carrots, and they sized up. But it can be a little bit harder because. Um, Sometimes they'll just get too thick and that you just won't get a good size. So I do seven to nine um, rows per bed. And take advantage of the cold weather. Um, I grow, I do the winter season on our farm. And so carrots are a really big crop that we do in the winter. Um, it's the one crop that we do a lot of outside of CSA. And winter carrots are just amazingly sweet. Um, and they're, I mean, they sell themselves. They're so easy to sell. I did last, last winter, I did, um, I did about a quarter acre of carrots. Um, and I mean, there's no, no problem selling them. So the winter, the winter carrots are very sweet. You know, I'm not getting, I'm not bunching them um, in the winter there. The tops aren't as good, so I'm selling them by the pound, but still, it's a very, very profitable crop. So tomatoes, to get our early tomatoes, we'll seed them. Um, I mean, we'll be seeding them as soon as we get home. We usually seed them like middle of January in little half-inch blocks, keep them inside, and then we increase to a two inch block um, at that point we'll move them to the greenhouse and then we will put them in a six inch pot and plant them out in middle of March um, and they'll be like you know 18 inches two feet tall we have um, I don't think we grafted okay the question was do we graft um, we have, we didn't graft last year. Dad might have a little bit more um, reasons on the, the grafting, but I think we just found that, you know, you have to, obviously you have to plant twice as much because you're taking the top from one and the bottom from the other one. So then, you know, you've got a top and a bottom that you're throwing away. And I think we just found that the yield wasn't and then we also it was you know it's hard to to get a good graft and we would have a pretty big percentage of them that wouldn't make it after you graft them they would die and so we just kind of came to the conclusion that with all the work put into it and the extra cost put into it it just wasn't the yield wasn't really that much better um it just wasn't really worth it um so different Different markets are going to be looking for different things. Um, you know, if you're growing for a farmer's market or a CSA, it's nice to just have a good variety of, of colors and sizes. If you're growing for a store or a restaurant, they might be looking for just a big red slicing tomato. And so you're going to want to know what your market is and what you're looking for um, in order to, to be able to provide that. We grow pretty much all of our tomatoes in a hoop house, um, and we do greenhouse varieties, which just keeps the, um, the disease is much less, and the yields are much higher. And then we trellis all of ours to a two-liter system, and so when the when the plant grows, you know, you've got your suckers that come out um, on every, you know, right above every leaf. There will be a new sucker that will go out. Um, and so we'll take, we'll take the main plant and one of those suckers and we will trellis those on string. And then every other, every other sucker will be cut off. Um, and so you don't end up with a huge bush. You've got two trellised um, leaders and you know, you'll have a nice neat 
row. Otherwise, you'll just have a huge tomato bush and it's hard to get in there and see what you're trying to pick and what's ripe and all that. Okay, so those were the, the highest rated um, crops. But depending on your market, you can't just stick to those crops. Um, with a CSA, you know, that was, I don't know, that was eight or 10 things, different crops. Um, if you have a CSA, you can't just grow those crops and expect people that, you know, they're going to appreciate getting the same thing for your whole season. So we do a lot outside of that. And it depends on your, your marketing method and the size you're, if you're growing on a very small crop, uh, plot of land, you might want to just be focusing on those crops and not doing a CSA and your yield is going to be much greater for your small. Um, but on our farm, we're doing CSA. We grow quite a bit more outside of those crops. Um, yeah, so for CSA or also just, also just at farmer's markets, um, you know, you could, you could just have those things at farmer's market and you will probably do fine and sell them. But having more variety brings people to your, to your stand. Um, they like to be able to get what they want at your stand instead of having to go all over and only getting a few things at your, at your stand. So a few other ones, um, cucumbers, sweet peppers, garlic, cherry tomatoes, kale and chard, herbs. Um, all the herbs. Small fruits, we grow um, strawberries and blueberries mostly, where we've got quite a few muscadines, and we are probably will be getting more into the blackberries and raspberries also. It's just people love fruits, and if you have fruits at your stand, it'll be a huge draw for people. Um, in the spring when we have strawberries and blueberries, well, blueberries are later in the summer, but um, there, you know, that's when we have the biggest um, farmer's market sales. So, yeah, there's the, uh, the small fruits that we have grown. So we have crops not to grow. Now, the thing is that when we look through pretty much all these crops are crops that we have or still grow sometimes. But when we say crops not to grow, these are crops that you're not really gonna be making much money on. We grow them for our CSA, um, but we don't, we, we keep it as minimal as possible. So sweet corn, broccoli and cauliflower, um, squash and melons, potatoes, celery and celeriac, um, parsnips, artichokes and zucchini. All of, if you look at all of these crops, they're crops that take up a lot of space and they're crops that you, for the most part, they're in the ground for a long time, they take up a lot of space and you harvest them once and you're done. Um, but like I say, we have, we have grown all of these things at one point or another. Um, we, if we don't grow them, we will, we will get them once or twice in the season from nearby farms to have on our CSA because people, if people go through a whole summer CSA and they never get corn, they're kind of disappointed. Like corn's like your staple in the summer, you know, it's a crop everybody wants. So you have to, you have to weigh that in on your, on your choices. Okay, so the, yeah, the question was on the tomatoes, the, um, the pot changing the size, um, how we do that. So it was, we start with a half inch block. So Johnny's has the cedar, it's, it's like the block, yeah, the blocker, it's like that big and it's got 20, 20 blocks. So we start them in there, we start them inside 
um, the house or in a a um, germinating chamber. So, you know, on one of our big trays, we've got like 600 plants. Um, so you can just have a lot in your germinating chamber. And then once they're, well, really once they're about an inch tall, they've got their full, their first cotyledon leaves, then we'll transplant them or change the block to a two inch. So Johnny's got the, the two inch blocker, it's got a half inch inset. So it's got the same size block. It'll make the hole in the center. So we'll move them into there. They get, you know, three inches, four inches tall. And then we'll put them in a six inch pot. And then at that point, they'll stay in the pot for uh, a month, maybe. Okay, so the question is on the books, the most important. I think, I think Dad's, the way he presented them was kind of his most important. So the first one was Elliot Coleman's New Organic Grower, which is just a very, it covers um, your whole seasons and, you know, it's just the most, the most broad. The second one, JM's The Market Gardener. And then The Winter Harvest. Would that be your third one? Especially, especially if you're, if you're looking at growing in the winter, um, that's gonna be, that might even be higher on the list if you're growing just in the winter. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.